Welcome to this MTech Access podcast. At MTech Access, we offer a complete global market access service from strategy through to implementation. In the UK, all our work is underpinned by authentic NHS insights. Our in-house experts work closely with a national network of associates who occupy strategic, operational and clinical roles within the NHS. Leaders in their field, their knowledge and experience helps MTech Access to be as close to the front line of care delivery as possible. To support our clients through the COVID-19 crisis and beyond, we launched this webinar series. Each week, we bring together two experts from the NHS to briefly present what is going on in their part of the health service. We have now converted this series into a podcast, so you can listen in as and when you like. Please subscribe to the podcast or follow our LinkedIn company page for more information. Good afternoon and welcome to the latest in our, our series of COVID update webinars. We're very lucky this week to have a, a couple of special guests to talk about pharmacy and, and looking at medicines and uh, some of the issues that have been presented for getting medicines to patients and some of the, the ways that those are being overcome. Um, we are joined this week by Sam O'Connell, who is a clinical pharmacist at a practice in, in Newcastle, and Jonathan Laird, who is a prescribing pharmacist from Scotland and the founder of the Pharmacy in Practice. Um, I think it's one of the smartest panels we've got looking at those pictures. Um, so again, don't want to give you too much of an introduction because I'm the, the least interesting person here. Um, so Jonathan, uh, great to have you with us. Um, just in our little chat we, we had just then, you used an interesting phrase which I'll let you introduce, but I just, just wanted to you to kind of set the scene for everyone that's listening around what you've seen changed in the world of pharmacy um both personally and through through all of your network over the last few weeks as a as a response to covid yeah definitely thank you listen thanks for having me on it's it's really interesting format and um hopefully hopefully i can bring some some insights um yeah so yesterday yesterday i was talking to someone and they used the term pharmageddon um in in relation to to the activity that's just happened in community pharmacy particularly um so I think I think it can be summed up uh, in I mean various sectors obviously in pharmacy have have been affected in different ways and and, and the tsunami has hit um, in in different ways across the piece but I suppose the the most acute phase of the, the uplift in activity happened in community pharmacy a few weeks ago and I think that's where that term pharmageddon comes from to be honest. Um, the drive and the uplift in demand was was unprecedented um, in our living memory in terms of the volume of prescription medicines that, that that were flowing through community pharmacy. I think I think in Scotland in March, community pharmacies. Uh, the reference for this figure is Community Pharmacy Scotland. Community pharmacies up there processed more NHS prescriptions in a month than they ever have before. And I think that that sort of uh, paints the, really the initial picture of what you need to know about how pharmacy, particularly community pharmacy, has been affected. And to be honest, it really raises some pretty significant questions in my mind around the supply chain, around um, why, why, you know, as diplomatically as I could put it, why were all those prescriptions produced? Um, you know, why? Why did you know? Arguably, the the panic sort of fed into the 
the, the medical world there as well, and, and, and the proof of that panic is in the numbers of prescriptions that were produced. And of course, I can only imagine what pressure that put further up the supply chain. Um, I mean, obviously, I'm slightly biased to the welfare of my community pharmacy colleagues, so they all they all did a sterling job. Um, but I, I, I'm I'm guessing that that drive and demand will have caused problems up the tree. So, to answer your question, that's that's really the the top line impact at this initial phase. Um, what's to come next? Is, is is going to be very interesting because certainly the tide has gone out in terms of volume in community pharmacy. Um, and I'd, I'd actually be very keen to hear a bit more about what has been happening in, in GP practice um, in due course from Sam, but, but certainly right at the coalface that's what's been happening. Fantastic. And, and have there been specific things that the community pharmacies have had to do to respond to those challenges or is it just chucking more time at, at the same problem? Well, there's been a, there's been a few challenges. I mean, the, this this thing for everybody is unprecedented, isn't it? And, and it presents in different ways and different interfaces with the health service. I think the initial thought was was volume. How on earth are we going to cope? <laughs> Basically, how long is this going to go last? How many prescriptions can a person actually need? Um, that's the initial bit. There were safety concerns as well. So, um, you know, the the PPE thing, you know, initially right back at that in that first week, sort of, well, almost pre pre lockdown really, there wasn't any. Um, sort of uh, personal protection in community pharmacy and. I guess they, to answer your question, they had to kind of think on their feet, and um, so things like screens popped up. Um, initially, contractors were buying those themselves, um, and now, as as the weeks have gone on and the representative bodies have sort of got across and um, you know are supporting more effectively, things like P stuff like there's there's um, more secure pathways for PPE, for example, to to get to the coalface. Um, those are the two main things, really, um, to be honest, Tom. Yeah, brilliant. Thank you very much. So, Sam, we'll, uh, we'll indulge Jonathan now and uh, come to you to think about that in, in primary care. So what have you done and seen around changing clinical practice and getting the, the medicines to your patients? So, obviously, we've, we've seen the same um, sort of surge in requests for prescriptions and, and things like that and my role has been very much to try and think of how we manage that and manage patient expectation sensibly um so i obviously can't answer for all gp practices but certainly here um we started with repeat moving to repeat dispensing very early on at the end of february the beginning of march um, and started moving more towards that and proactively moving patients um, and also sort of trying to be a little bit more policey almost in terms of well why are you asking for that inhaler that you've not had for several months what's going on now and using that opportunity for ad hoc reviews of asthma and, and things like that um, helping support my practice with sort of looking more, looking rapidly at the evidence that was coming out and reacting to things that were 
were happening. So there was a lot of things going around social media that asthma patients should have rescue packs. So we were getting a lot of a lot of requests for the COVID-19 pack, regardless of whether they were asthmatic or not. Um, so supporting the staff to look at that. Um, we use EPS, Electronic Prescription Service, quite a lot anyway. Um, but this gave us a bit of an impetus to say, right, we're not printing any prescriptions at all. Nobody wants that piece of paper traveling between us. So it is all going electronic. You need to tell us where it's going to go. Um, more recently, EPS 4 has just been released. So we're investigating how we utilize that and put that into place. Um, Prescribing tax be a lot more pragmatic. So if you've got a patient with a new hypertension, you've got to think pragmatically about, do I want to bring this patient in to do bloods if I start them on an ACE inhibitor? You know, am I potentially putting them at risk? Or actually, can I use something else that's not technical, that doesn't follow the guidelines, but keeps them safe for this period of time? And then we can pick that up later on so there's a lot more pragmatic shift in our prescribing and what we're doing um in terms of what we're doing and a lot more um telephone and video um consultations with patients and we're seeing a, a higher acceptance of managing their chronic diseases better themselves so we can say to patients look blood pressure machines aren't expensive um, if you could get one and you can measure it at home, then I can keep in touch with you and find out what it is we're doing. You know, or look at your peak flow meters. What is that doing? Um, look at different things that we that you can measure yourself, and then we can we can liaise with you and see what's going on. So there has been a lot of that. We've also been um, sort of very keen to stay in contact with all our community pharmacy colleagues, particularly around us. Our closest pharmacy who's actually in the same building already is one of the highest um, volume dispensers in England. So on top of that, so we were releasing um, we were releasing um, our technician to go and help them um, with it. I think at one point they were reporting their EPS prescriptions if they were to print them out were reaching hip level on on the pharmacist for the the volume as Jonathan referred to was massive so we were releasing our staff where we could to go in and help them out to help get on top of what was was happening there with them as well so what what part of the body would they normally come up to would they be a normally knee or ankle or a... and it's certainly not hip level not in a day yeah, yeah. <laughs> at that level within a day it would certainly be sort of lower than that yeah. um, and it's, it's something you both mentioned about this sort of surge of surge of prescriptions and how much of that do you think is um driven uh, driven by sort of the medical uh, your medical colleagues and how much of it is patient demand patient requests or is that a bit hard to pick sort of unpick that piece uh, i don't i don't mind have it, sam have you any thoughts on that before i Dive in. From the point of view of our practice, I would probably say um, that it was mostly patient driven. 
from our end from what I was seeing through and seeing the requests for can I have double because so that I don't have to go out can I have this so that in case it runs out can I can I have more um I would I'd like to think and I'm pretty sure my GP colleagues are fairly sensible with what they're they're doing and they, they don't generally allow patients to stockpile so it wouldn't be any different right now did, did you have a view on that Julie? sorry say that again tom did, did you have a view on that on that question yeah yeah well first of all i need to i, I need to apologize for my uh, my daughter coming in the back there <laughs> That's one eventually, isn't it? <laughs> it wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a webinar without, uh, without a child or a dog in it would it um Anyway, yes, I do. I think going back to the previous conversation as well, I wanted to touch on um, the other part of my life is uh, publishing and digital. I don't want to go into that too much, but one insight from that space that was mentioned in, earlier on the conversation is the move towards digital, um, which overnight has has just blown away. I see it as blowing away the cobwebs. I think for years, lots of us have quite fancied not having to fly to London if we live in the north of, of the country. And when, and when I say the north, I mean Aberdeen, not, you know, Birmingham. Um, so, you know, all these all these sort of um, preconceived ideas about how we work and so on and so forth have really seeped into what we're doing in pharmacy as well. And it's sort of sorted the wheat from the chaff in many ways, I think, without sort of being too blunt about it. Um, mm -hmm. There's not as many places to hide really around how you go about your work and your business because communication is so easy. And I think I think the cultural shift off the back of that is really interesting from my other work on on the magazine and pharmacy in practice as well as in practice. The drive and demand piece is really interesting, and I totally um, agree with what Sam has said. She's probably covered it better than I could. Um, one thing I would say about what's happening in Scotland is. Um, Community Pharmacy Scotland up here are, they really are very good, um, very forward thinking. Um, Harry McQuillan in particular is is very engaged with his network of community pharmacists up here and he's really trying to lead them forward. Now, one of the things that's changed overnight is potentially a role for, for community pharmacists to manage long-term prescriptions. And when mm -hmm. I say manage, I don't mean like oh, I think we should be doing this, or oh, actually that's an overdose doctor or what have you, you know, the traditional sort of behind the scenes pharmacy role that, that we've taken on and probably in my view not got credit for properly for years actually. But actually now that we're, we're um, non-medical prescribers, we can manage that front end of the, the repeat medication thing. Now, that ties into your question about demand, because I think, and I think Harry and all our colleagues up in Scotland believe that community pharmacists should be really in charge of that in many ways. And that we should be actively using our prescribing qualification to make sure things like that drive and demand don't happen, because we would feel it straight away, because we're supplying as well. Um, there's some concerns about the conflict of interest around prescribing and dispensing on the same premises, but to be honest, the audit trails are so robust these days. I, I don't think I don't think you could get away with any shenanigans in that space. So I, I don't think that argument holds water anymore. 
There's also precedent around that conflict of interest for the minor ailments scheme in Scotland, where you're supplying and dispensing on the um, sorry, you're you're prescribing and advising and supplying on the same premises, and also dispensing doctors have been doing that for years as well. So I'm maybe sort of starting to work the solution to what your question was, but going back to what the original question was, um, yes, unfortunately, um, the general public are really, really easily scared um, and there's no doubt we were all a wee bit scared in those few weeks and to be honest they panicked my question to medical and pharmacy colleagues is why was that panic not managed really um, effectively and yeah I think there's an opportunity for community pharmacy to help there it's kind of like I mean if I'll just finish by saying this at Christmas Sam will be familiar with this um, we're usually only shut in community pharmacy for a few days. <laughs> you know, Christmas hasn't changed since I've been born. You know, it's still, you know, Christmas Day is still 25th and Boxing Day is the 26th. So, you not, know, nothing not changed. It's, 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 it's not a surprise. <laughs> well, it's not a surprise. Okay. Um, but still, we get we get this huge uplift in prescriptions in December and then the drought in January. So, um, yeah, there's something to think about there, I think. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I, I think that that whole piece plays into things we've heard in, in previous episodes around how different parts of the system are slightly, you know, they're, they're kind of finding the function they should be performing. A lot of the kind of the barriers that have existed almost artificially have, have sort of um, been taken away in, in some respects. So I suppose picking up on that theme, Sam, of the mm -hmm. changes that you've seen and, and implemented, what are the things that you'd like to keep? And and of those, what are the risks and opportunities that they present? Okay, I mean, there's a few different bits. Just to pick up slightly, if you don't mind, on a bit of what Johnny mentioned, sure. the you know what's going on in community pharmacy in Scotland is fantastic. But then I'm not that far away in Newcastle, and there's like a massive gap between mm -hmm. what's going on. My link for community pharmacist is a prescriber. Um, but doesn't really have the opportunity to use it. Um, we've tried various bits around to, to do it. And it's getting that, you know, we're all part, all in on the same island. We we need to like come all in line a little bit as well with it. And I think part of that is sort of leading into what you asked of what I want to keep. I do want to keep repeat dispensing. Um, running off the searches of our workload on what we've been signing off, we've seen a, a demonstrable drop in the number of prescription requests that we're processing just in one month. Um, and yes, some of that will be the surge, but when we compare it year on year, we can see the, the reductions coming down. But then I'm worried, I'm worried not only in terms of we need to think of when that comes back up for renewal again how as a practice are we going to manage that because we're going to have a big surge again on prescriptions running out will the patients tell us when they've got their last prescription mm. will the pharmacies tell us how do we handle changes um which we're hoping we've selected our patients carefully enough that there's not going to be massive loads but life happens and changes are going to happen but also from the point of view of, yes, we've used repeat dispensing for a long time for our weekly Medibox patients, 
using it for the monthly ones not so much around here and we've rapidly increased that volume we've come across slight glitches with our clinicals with our software um, and with the patient online apps that um, patients can order their repeat dispensing on the online app which we weren't expecting so we're trying to manage that but also from the point of view of how the pharmacy is going to be able to manage have they got more robust systems in place to realize that big surge is going to repeat itself just two seconds um, sorry, my turn to apologise. <laughs> it's fine, I feel better now. <laughs> well, I am at work. I'm swinging things around. That's yeah. my That's allowed. That's allowed. I should have put a sign on outside, maybe. <laughs> so there are some things that um, we're looking at, at how we manage that. I'm hoping that this patient self-sufficiency is going to continue as well, this much more engagement with their chronic disease and their chronic disease management, the managing themselves, getting advice from pharmacies, accept it, you know, accepting advice over the phone of what they could do. Just, just quickly on that, Sam, are you, are you having yeah. different conversations or different interactions with the patients? Do they, do they seem yes. better informed? Yeah. Or they're asking yeah. different questions? So, um, I, you know, although I'm sitting here in scrubs and in the clinical room, I'm not actually seeing patients face to face. All of my interactions are on the phone or on video or by photo. You know, we can send them texts and they reply with a photo of the rash. Or, you know, I had one lovely lady yesterday. I asked her to check her blood pressure at home so that I could do a HRT review. Um, and sent her a text for her to reply so that it would come straight to me and it didn't go through the realms of the central email address and then get into me and things like that. She sent me the reply back with her blood pressure reading and a picture of her monitor to prove what she yeah. told this wife. It was just lovely. And one of our other pharmacists had um, sent a, a question recently on a text to a patient um asking if they were happy with a, a certain change that they were suggesting and the patient not only replied yes but sent a picture of themselves with their thumbs up to do it so the acceptance and the use of the technology is is really it's massive and it's fantastic and you if you're talking to a patient and you're going yes okay i could bring you in i could bring you in to the cold site and ask a HCA to see you but you know is it worth that risk of bringing you in um, or you know is it better for you to use your monitor that you've got at home and just take those readings let me know what they are and then we can have a discussion about what's going on um, and patients are much more open yeah. to that on the whole um, there's some things that we do have to consider sorry did you want to ask no, no, go for it. I just, I'm, yeah, no, I'm keen to add at the end, but I'm enjoying it. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> it looks as if you were on the edge there to ask a question. Um, so one of the things we are dealing with is, you know, the practice I work in is in a deprived area. So we're having to balance the use of technology with what our patients have available. Um, so they may not have the latest iPhone or phone that can do calls and things like that or if they do they may not have the data to be able to 
to manage it mm -hmm. and obviously in, in lockdown it's well I'd hope we never get to the point where some we're having a conversation with a patient using public wi-fi in a pub or something but um you know we obviously can't do that right now so we're, we're having to get that little bit of balance there in what we're doing and again touching a little bit on what johnny said this we have put in place as have everybody across the healthcare system rapid changes really quickly um and now we're we've got this opportunity to look at what we have been doing as we think about reintroducing some of this the services and just because we traditionally did it one way doesn't mean that we need to keep doing it that way we've got this brilliant brilliant opportunity now of almost a clean slate to start again and i'm really excited to see what's going to come of that and what we're going to be able to do yeah, thank thank you, Sam. So quickly, Johnny, you just wanted to add, add something in, in response to that, and I've got one more question for you in a, in a second. Yeah, yeah, 100%. So it just, so again, Sam's covered it better than I could, but um, I suppose just sort of superimposing what she said on, on my personal experience. So we're we're involved in a project where we're, um, um, it's called Technical Care, and we're basically digitising or trying to take what a pharmacist does into the digital world now. The point here is, pre-COVID, um, lots of people were patting me on the head and saying, "Oh, Johnny, you're really clever. This is a, how did you manage to trademark that? This is a great idea." Um, but actually, we don't want to play yet. Now, post-COVID, boom, different story. It's, the the world has changed overnight, and Sam's articulated that better than I could, as I say. But um, at the, in, you know, on. I say that on one hand, but but sitting on my shoulders, my 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 grandfather, who was a Presbyterian minister back in Ireland, and he always said, you know, everything in moderation, and we can go. We need to watch that we don't go too far one way or the other. But I do very much agree with Sam that pre-COVID we were. I think the health service. I think we're all guilty of it in our own sort of working lives. There was stagnation. There was fat on the system. There was um, a lot of inaction, or or a lot of action, and not doing very much uh, in terms of outcomes. And what I like about this new world that Sam has really optimistically described is that it is an, it is a new start, and the wheat has been use that phrase again sorted from the chaff. And if you really, if you're a pharmacist or a doctor, anybody. Who interacts with patients? If you want to shamelessly support patients, you, there's never been a better time. Um, and suddenly, the tools that you wanted to be on the table are now on the table for you to use. And I, I think that's really exciting, actually. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks very much. We, we've got a couple of minutes left. And the question I wanted to ask you right at the, at the outset, you mentioned about you know demands on the supply chain and, and those sorts of things. So. Um, it was a question really about you know of all the changes going on how do you expect that to impact on suppliers of medicines and um well that's the question really, i suppose so so i think i mean i'm not uh, apologies if this is a plug tom sorry but technical care we, we're we're pitching that as the as the the weatherman of 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 the pharmaceutical industry 
and, and a lot of a lot of that protection of the supply chain is on one hand what I've said before involving community pharmacists and giving them more autonomy but also understanding what happens to the medicine after it leaves the dispensing bench I'll give you one quick example in the DOAC market there's a rush towards the DOACs and off warfarin I'm not sure if Sam's seen this the data that the NHS gets as I'm sure many of your audience will be very familiar with is three months old we need patients telling us what's happening we need them to be able to tell us what they're ordering and when so that we can forecast using a statistically significant sample across the UK or whatever patch it's on to let us protect the, the supply chain really uh, and I think if you're asking me where it should go that's where I think it should go and I think there'll be there'll be more players than us in that space um, but it is it's very interesting it's all about supply chain now yeah fantastic so we've got a couple of minutes left so Sam have you got any final comments in terms of sort of looking forward and you know what you think the implications of everything that's changing might be on on pharmacy and prescribing um I think another sort of a part of what has come out of this is sort of increased acceptance of the different roles within healthcare. Um so mm. I've been in this position, I've been here for quite a long time. So the majority of patients around here know me or quite scarily have heard of me. So um <laughs> But they're a bit more open to sort of me ringing and going, oh, no, you, know, you contacted us because you had a query about your asthma, your eczema, your your tablets or whatever. How can I help you? What's going on? And not and we get a little bit less of the well, I want I want to speak to a GP, they're more taken more taken from a pharmacist prescriber, our ANPs, our paramedic, um, and taking a bit more from there really. Um, the joined up working as well every you know everybody's pulling together in the same direction so whereas before you know as a practice we might say we're going to do this one thing and I've always been quite open in terms of I'll share whatever work I do that's going to be useful use for anybody else we're much much more open yeah. about it so Thank you very much, Sam. I'm afraid we've just run out of time. So uh, that that was absolutely fantastic. Thank you both uh, for your uh, your engagement today, and thank you to everyone uh, at home. I'm sure you're probably all at home for listening. Um, next week we're going to be looking at innovation through COVID times um, across all sorts of different areas: uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly of innovation. So what, what's good and what's not. Uh, beyond that, we'll be looking at some more sort of the strategic medicines management and procurement areas, uh, and then looking at how the NHS is going to start preparing to get back to business as usual. Um, if you've got any uh, things that you'd like to see in future episodes, please get in touch with us, nhsinsights at mtechaccess.co.uk. Uh, and next week's episode is going to be on Thursday instead of Friday because of the bank holiday. So thanks again for listening, everybody. Thanks again to Sam and Jonathan, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Please do subscribe for future episodes. If you'd like to find out more about our work with the NHS or how we can support your market access strategy, please email info at mtechaccess.co.uk.